0: She is a professional speaker, trainer, and author based in Phoenix, Arizona. How are you doing today, Jen?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brad.
0: Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be part of the Empowerography community and be here on the show and share a bit about your story and journey with me.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. This is exciting.
0: So let's jump right in, Jen. You are, as I mentioned, a professional speaker, a trainer, an author, also a certified professional coach. How long have you been a professional speaker and trainer?
1: I have been, so that's that's sort of a twofold question for me because I began my career at a startup and I was literally 18, just about to turn 19 years old. And I did that for 10 years. And then I transitioned and became a professional speaker where I was working on my own and you know independently going and doing keynotes and, and trainings at different companies. So when you put it all together, I can't even believe I'm going to say this out loud. It's 34 years.
0: (laughs) Amazing. So, I mean, I didn't even know that there was people who just do professional speaking for a living. Like that's what you do for a living. How did you get into professional speaking?
1: Yeah. You know, I was really young. I was, as I mentioned, I was 18, just about to turn 19 when I started with Discover Card, when they were brand spanking new and, I had been a college student. I was really kind of screwing up in life, uh, you know, playing way too much. And my mom brought me to a women's conference. And when I ended up going to this conference, which I dragged my heels about, I saw. This is crazy, but the keynote speaker was Joan Rivers, Uh, and I didn't know who she was. I'd never been to a professional event. This conference had only been done one other time, Mm -hmm. and so I remember looking at my mom and saying, who is the old broad? And my mom was horrified. She was like, Jennifer, you know, that's Joan
0: Rivers.
1: (laughs) I had lightning strike that day. I knew that I wanted to do what she did because by the time I was done, I had been crying. I'd been laughing. My cheeks were hurting. I'd been doing the first standing ovation of my life. You know, I was like, whoop, whoop, whooping the whole bit. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so when I went back to working at Chili's because I was a college student, you know, waitressing at night. I ended up just basically telling every single table that would say, you know, what are you going to school for? Because everybody, you know, puts two and two together. And I remember just telling everybody that I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And mind you, my mom had said, that's not a real job. Those of people course. are actors. That's not real. <laughs> because all we had at the time was like Anthony Robbins during, what was it? He used to have the nighttime infomercials. I don't know if oh, you remember yes, those. Oh, yes. Yes,
0: I do. He yes. Did them from
1: like his tub or something, right? That's right. right. And yes. Yeah. And so that was the only other connection I could make, but I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. And it, it only took a few weeks before one of my customers ended up calling in to the Chili's restaurant after and saying, hey, listen, this is going to sound crazy, but I just started working for this brand new company. We're looking for people. I think you'd be perfect and you don't realize it yet, but a trainer is kind of along the lines of what you want to do. Like this is the stepping stone. And I had no idea. And so I interviewed and the woman who hired me, I love her to this day, but crazy person to hire (laughs) someone this young to be a (laughs) trainer. But it was the greatest experience of my life. So that just became, You know, the sort of stepping stone. I stayed in training the entire time that I was with Discover Mm -hmm. and eventually went out on my own and auditioned. You're going to love this for the women's conference.
0: Wow.
1: And I I made it. Yes. The same
0: one that you went to?
1: It was, it was. Well, this one is traveling. Yes, it was nationwide. Yes. So eventually it was really cool to be back in Long Mm -hmm. Beach and be able to say, this is where it began for me, you know? That's amazing. So it was full circle for me. And I did that for seven years and it was the best time of my life. Just traveling with a group of women Mm -hmm. going from city to city. It was, it was the best.
0: So Joan Rivers essentially was the catalyst for you.
1: (laughs) Yes. And weirdly, you'll love this. I ended up having... So years later, I ended up getting involved in radio and television. And so it started out in radio. And then I got an opportunity through an agent to start doing some TV hosting. So mostly like red carpet work, that kind of thing, when you see the interviewers. And so when I got this opportunity, the first thing I needed to do was get into like a training, you know, to be a host, because I didn't know what I was doing. I could speak all day long, but I didn't know like camera work and everything. And my coach, my hosting coach was Joan Rivers' personal assistant for 23 years.
0: Right? How ironic is that?
1: I know, I know. So I got a chance to interact with her and tell her that she was my, my true north. Amazing. And it, it was cool, yeah.
0: I had no idea, though, that Joan was... A, I mean, I always thought of Joan Rivers as a comedian, not yes. as a public speaker that would, you know, give motivational speeches.
1: Right. So what I found out later is that... She had tried to get out of that and apparently, and I didn't know this because Joan Rivers was not sort of the red carpet diva that we all knew later on in her life. She was on a real dip in her career and apparently had gotten in a fight with like Johnny Carson. Uh She had a failed daytime television show. She'd been banned from the stage for whatever, you know, she had done. And so she had accepted this keynote and apparently Her husband died like six weeks earlier, and she tried to get out of it. And so when I ended up talking to her, she said, now I know why I couldn't get out of it because it's always the one person. You never know who you're speaking to, and you were the one. And she said she remembered it so clearly because she literally did everything to get out of it and couldn't. Wow. Yeah.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned that you were working in corporate America at Discover Card when it was just a startup. Yeah before you made the jump to entrepreneurship. So what inspired you to leave the corporate gig and go out on your own and venture out into entrepreneurship? What was the inspiration behind that?
1: Well, you know, it always was just focusing on the goal that I was going to be at the time, I would say a motivational speaker, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think I told so many people about it. Most people would laugh because all they could attribute it to was, you know, a couple of different figures. So it really didn't have, You know, a a space quite yet. We weren't all that focused on these big conferences and seminars. I mean, they were a thing, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So I remember trying to get out of my sort of training track, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. and get into sales at some point at Discover Card and not getting the job on two different occasions and being so devastated. And the hiring manager saying, Jen, we've known you for 6 years or 8 years or whatever it was at yeah. the time and them saying all you've ever talked about is being a speaker and so for us to take you into sales would completely get you off the track of what you're meant to do in this world and so it was really a gift for me that no one ever you know allowed me to take those sales job because i i may have completely you know ditched yeah, the whole plan but That's right. i had a boyfriend at the time who called me on a sunday And he said, open up the paper to page whatever, whatever in this section. And I was like, I don't have a paper, you know, I'm 28 years old. I don't have a paper. (laughs) And he said, go get a paper right now. And I remember saying, well, what is it? What, what, what? And he said, just get the paper. And I remember opening it once I bought it. And there was this huge ad dead center of this paper that said, speakers wanted. And it was for the women's conference. And so I decided to audition and I was the youngest. I was told the minute I got there that I was too young. They didn't hire (laughs) speakers under 40. And I started pulling out my certifications because at the time I was certified to train. It's like 148 courses or something crazy. And um, the woman was like, you know, you'd you have that many and i said i do i you know i was full of just piss and vinegar at yeah, the time you know yeah. yes i do and she, <laughs> so she gave me a chance and i got the job
0: amazing you know back to what you're saying about being at discover card and applying for those jobs it's funny that at the time the things that we think or feel to us are so devastating and we're so upset that they didn't happen sometimes are the absolute best things that could ever happen to us
1: Truly, truly, I can tell you that for me at the time, it was absolutely financial. I knew how much the sales reps were making, getting all of these merchants out there in the world to start taking this brand new card that was outside of like Visa, MasterCard, American Express, right? Like I knew these people were killing it Mm -hmm. and I wanted that. I also wanted the freedom of working out in the field and being able to have a home office and not being, you know, in a big corporate office or center. And so I really wanted it. Yeah. Bad. But you know there was another plan.
0: Yeah, that's right. And they they had a hand in in guiding you on that route on that plan.
1: Yeah, I believe that.
0: What excites you or inspires you the most about being an entrepreneur Jen?
1: I am I'm the creative. So I'm someone that needs to be in creation mode a lot and I need to be stimulated. I'm definitely the extrovert that is often excited and, and motivated by shiny new things. (laughs) And so being an entrepreneur for me allows me to keep those muscles, you know, Uh really well exercised. I, I get to try new things. I get to innovate. Starting out in a startup environment allowed me to get really comfortable with constantly pivoting because it was always about fast moving, fast change. And so I've been allowed to sort of exercise that creative muscle I have to try things, to find sort of the next shiny thing. As long as I, you know, realize it has to fit within my, my focus of my business, but it allows me to try new things. And I love that because it's just my personality and it fits well for me.
0: What excites and inspires you the most about being a professional speaker?
1: I love people and I love inspiring people I love connecting with people I love to sort of you know break that wall between us the stage and the audience I mm. love to share and impact and inspire and so for me it really is about the connection and writing this incredible wave together of of emotion and you know when I'm on stage I'll be telling an emotional story and and people always say you know gosh I cried and how didn't you cry and I tell them you couldn't see me from stage, but my eyes were filled with tears. I was goosebumping. <laughs> like I'm just as much in it as they are. And yeah. it really is the human connection for me.
0: Amazing. Now with all the years of experience under your belt with public speaking and being a professional speaker, do you ever get nervous now before you go out on stage and give a talk? And if so, how do you deal with and overcome the nerves?
1: Yeah, positively, positively. There are times when the stakes are very, very high Maybe they have paid me the highest fee I've ever made. Or maybe we're going to have an audience of 25,000 people. Or maybe there's going to be a television camera on me. You know, um, somebody's doing a story for their evening news or whatever. So sure, yes, the answer is nerves and and fear are always there. I have a friend of mine who has this great line who says that we just need to be able to feel forward instead of, you know, being stuck in the fear. Just know that fear is another emotion. Fear is just another feeling that comes along, part of your warning system that says, okay, you're stepping out right now into something that has some high stakes. Are you sure you want to do this? And (laughs) so I I absolutely fail. I also, I'm sorry, I also absolutely have fear and I've Uh, absolutely failed. There have been times when I've tripped that interview. I told you uh, that audition I went on for the women's conference when they called my name up. I tripped in the middle of the stage on heels and just went sort of flying. You know that sort of momentum you get yes. when you're tripping, 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 yeah. tripping almost going to fall. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened to me, you know, and it happens. Oh, yeah. You know there are times you forget words or you say the wrong statistic. But again, kind of like feeling your way forward, it's it's also failing forward. Failure's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: All okay, fear's okay. And so for me I think just the reminder that that this is just my warning system, it's okay. There is not going to be anything that I feel so greatly at right now mm-hmm. that everything is gone. But I also try to remind myself of of who I am and what I've done, and I use the mantras, you know, to to keep myself calm, as calm as possible. But the minute you get out there and you're in the zone of doing the scary thing, it's amazing how your alignment with whatever you're doing, your purpose, I believe, takes over. So the fear is usually fairly short you know, lived in my opinion.
0: What mantras do you use?
1: I am valuable. I am ready. I am here with a purpose. I, one that I say a lot, if my energy is low is I'm alert, I'm alive and I feel great. So it's just sort of the psyching, you know, psyching out of your own warning system to say, I'm, I'm leading this show right now.
0: Yeah. I've always heard too that it's good to have a bit of fear because then you don't get too cocky or too um, comfortable. Yeah, it, You keep yourself in check that way.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's also something that comes with fear that a lot of people forget to recognize, which is adrenaline. Yes. So when you're afraid and you step on stage, your adrenaline is pumping so high, which means your energy is that much higher, which means your influence will be that much greater. And I think that people forget that there's actually something great that comes out of it. Now, if you can't manage the adrenaline, sometimes you start to feel maybe lightheaded or I need to slow down or my voice is shaking or whatever. But that adrenaline helps you be more energetic, which helps you be more influential.
0: Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Do you remember what your first big or your biggest speaking engagement was and how far into your career it was?
1: I do. I... Well, the women's conferences were big. They Uh were exciting. They were full of incredible energy. But the first big, big audience that I spoke in front of was 10,000. Wow. And I was about maybe three years into speaking professionally. So I'd been speaking in front of audiences of like 500, 1,000. That was kind of normal. (laughs) Wow. T- I know it sounds weird that That's I'm like That's quite the ah. jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I wish I could think of the name of this particular MLM. It was a multi-level marketing mm-hmm. company, and they were they were they called themselves panty pushers. So <laughs> they were selling uh lingerie and toys and all okay. of these things. So it was all women. Yeah. And I remember knowing that there would be 10,000 people there. And I knew that it was going to be a wild bunch because when you start talking about number one, panty pushers, yeah. but number two, you're talking about a a room full of women. Like I, <laughs> and, and also that MLM energy, you know, the believers are in yeah. the room. Yeah. I just knew that it was going to be fantastic, but I was not prepared for that moment because the roar was greater than anything I'd ever seen having that many people stand up for you at once, um, telling a story and watching the emotion wash across a room in in their expressions. And then I remember that I got my first large, I'd gotten lots of standing ovations, but again, 500 to 1,000 people. But when you have 10,000 people (laughs) screaming, it is like the greatest, I imagine, drug on the planet. You know what I mean? No doubt. It was was phenomenal.
0: Wow. Incredible. I remember it was in Boston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From 1,000 to 10,000 in an audience. And I mean, I imagine you can't see incredibly, like, you probably can't see past the first couple of rows of people, right? Really?
1: Well, it kind of depends on the way they have the lighting. So in this one, um, you, the key is you can't, because this audience was deep and wide, I remember. Okay. I couldn't, I could run from one side of the stage to the other and all of that, but you're right. There's a limit. And this particular space did allow me to see about half and maybe not half, but half of the, um, but it went high too. There was another level up there. So I could see about half of what seemed like maybe the floor. It was like a, a, you know, convention center kind of deal. Yep. But I remember feeling like in order for me to get to the people on one side, I had to run all the way over to one stage (laughs) and then all the way. I mean, it was a workout, I'll tell (laughs) you.
0: So what did you speak about at this particular conference? I mean, you're talking about lingerie and and toys and what so what what was your topic (laughs) of discussion?
1: Yeah, it wasn't that Uh, it was, I was speaking on, if I remember right, it was just, you know, motivation, inspiration, women's empowerment, that kind of thing, achievement. uh, That's kind of what I was in that space of my life. That's what was really, really big and prominent. And I remember, you know, it's funny that we're even talking about this because I had the greatest time of my life during those seven years on the women's conference. And that was right smack dab in the middle of all of it. And when I look back on the years of my career that were most fulfilling, like that was it. That was the time when my heart, my, I mean, every single thing was in alignment. I loved the travel. I loved getting to see new cities. And I saw every city in the U.S. or every major city in the U.S., every state multiple times. And I was speaking to audiences that I connected with on such a deep level. It was really magical.
0: Amazing. I could only imagine. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career as a professional speaker? You know,
1: it's a funny beast. It is not a straight line for most people. And if you're wanting to speak on any level, the number one thing I would say is just get out and do it. The second thing I would probably say is get yourself some coaching or training because there are things about this particular beast that you need to really wrangle. You can't use the ums and the us. That is the easiest one to fix. So if that's the easiest thing to fix, then you've got to start thinking about how you move your body when you're telling a story, how to time a punchline. It's literally going through humor training, you know, how to how to tell a story, how to make sure you understand the mechanics of a speech, that you've got to weave that story all the way through, that you can't be hard hitting all the, all the time. You know I mean? There are so many details. I know that there are groups out there who teach people how to speak. And I'm trying to think of the one it's called right now, and it's not coming to me. It's worldwide. Toastmaster. Uh, Toastmasters. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Toastmasters is fabulous, but that literally is the first baby step, you know, then you really need to get either into a training role where they're going to certify you and train you on the mechanics. Um, you've also got to think about how can I just get in front of audiences? One of the things that has kept me speaking through COVID because, you know, that changed my life drastically, right. Um, is this app that's called clubhouse Yes, and clubhouse, Allows me to speak every single day. Granted, I do my keynotes, trainings, and coachings now online, and I just started to go back last week to in person, which was so amazing.
0: <laughs> but that rush, it,
1: yes, audience, people, connection—it was awesome. And so, I would say that you know there are ways to to speak, whether it's speaking to a, a group for free that might be within your community. It might be. I don't know at your, your church or synagogue, it might be something that you're doing for maybe a kid's group. I mean, it could be so many things. The key is get out there and do it and yeah. practice it because it, it is like anything else. Your habits come back in when you're not fully, you know,
0: in practice
1: dialed in and yeah, yeah doing the that. job. Right. Yeah,
0: for sure. You're also, as mentioned before previously, you're a certified coach who helps people increase their potential so they can achieve higher levels of success. And I've worked with some people at some pretty big brands and even an Emmy award-winning actress. Can you tell us a bit about who some of the brands you've worked with are and who the actress was that you worked with?
1: Yeah. So I worked with Coca-Cola, McDonald's, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Olympic Committee, Honda, Toyota, Mercedes-Benz, wow. NASA, Google. Oh, man. I've got a huge, huge, yeah, I've been really fortunate to get to work with some extraordinary leaders, people that just absolutely blow my socks off. And the Emmy award-winning actor, so here's what I can do. So I can give you hints. That's <laughs> okay. So, Because I know your audience is worldwide. I don't know if this is going to hit for everybody, but there is a soap opera Mm -hmm. that has been the longest standing soap opera (laughs) in all of television history. And this blonde actress, who's about in her 60s, has been the star. You know, now that I say that, she's probably 50s, not 60s. I would say she's now maybe late fifties. She's beautiful. She's always been every single person's favorite who watches this particular show that always wins for being the best. (laughs) And she is wonderful and authentic and every single thing you would hope she would be. She is, she is as humble and, and fun and open as, as you would hope that an actress of that caliber would be.
0: How is that for you getting to work with someone of that stature? and people and these big brands with execs at these huge brands worldwide known brands how does that feel for you
1: yeah it's 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 scary okay i'm just going to lay it out there it's a lot of money it's a huge brand it's a big name and there is some fear there but then you have to go through that that Mindset of reminding yourself, like, I'm not just Jenny Buck, you know, yeah. I'm, I am Jen Buck, who's built a brand for myself and a reputation that I know what I'm doing after this many years, 34 years is a long time. Right. And so I have to remind myself that they're coming to me. I'll never forget, there was a time when I was working with Nielsen ratings, and they're the people who determine how many viewers are watching a yeah. show and all mm-hmm. of that, right? Yep. And I was asked by their CEO, to coach one of their executive vice presidents they had three executive vice presidents at the time which i know is kind of odd but they had three evps and i had to at the time coach one of them and i remember she wasn't having it and she was not interested and she was not going to have me come in there and tell her what to do and it is to this day the one failure that i have it's the one that i couldn't crack her i found out later the CEO was generous enough to say, "Listen, it wasn't you. She quit. She was not <laughs> staying. She wasn't going to invest any further." But I remember that she was the one person who who I just couldn't get to crack but every other executive. Now, this is kind of a cool thing. I did a <laughs> I did a training session for four and five-star generals for the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. And that got me sweating and I was teaching them presentation skills because these generals have to be able to present to the, you know, the chief executive of the country and they have to be able to know how to move their body and know how to, you know, say all things as succinctly and correctly and also as influentially as possible. And that one got me sweating. And the person who hired me said, listen, they are exactly like you. I know you've heard this before. They put their, their pants on the same way and all of that. But I promise you that they're more than just the metals on their chest. And that did it for me. I went in there and I became kind of silly and pokey and funny. And you know, that thing that when you're walking next to someone, you can kind of Kick them with your leg, kind of torque your leg. I was doing that, and I was knocking them with my elbows and poking, literally physically (laughs) poking them. I had it was a three day training, and by the end of the three days, every one of them were hugging me. And here, these are four and five star generals.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so I I try to remember that a lot because these people who are these are brand names in our homes. We know these people. They're coming to us because they recognize they're human too, you know, and I just have to remind myself of that. But all in, in all honesty, I get nervous too.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. How long have you been a coach and what inspired you to get certified?
1: I have been a coach now for 26 years and I have three certifications, life, business and executive coaching. And all of those were actually done when I was still working at Discover Card. Coaching was a brand new industry and they needed somebody. I was working out of an office that had 4,000 people and they needed someone to be the coach for all levels of the employee base. And so over a year, I went through these different courses. I've since had to, of course, like up my certifications and things like that. But it started out very early. Before we used to see everybody now, like you don't even have to have a certification anymore right. to be a coach. If you want to be a coach and you have wisdom to share, the cool thing is you can do that. And not everybody will ask you what your yeah. certifications are in. Mine happens to be something that was foundationally really important at the time because it was so brand new that they needed to know that you actually had the fundamentals down of, of taking people through the, through the journey. And so, yeah, I've had them for 26 years. Isn't that crazy? Amazing. That's awesome.
0: Jen, why is it so personally important to you to help others increase their potential? What inspires you the most about what you do as a coach?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And it kind of goes back to my answer that I gave you before. I love people and I love seeing joy. I'm somebody that will cry like a baby every time I see something (laughs) joyful (laughs) And I love seeing people recognize their potential, recognize their strength, their value, their purpose. And I really do come from a belief that we all signed up for this long before we got here, and that I knew that this was my talent to carry through my life. And I think every one of us, regardless of what we do, who we are, where we are, what our background is. I believe that there's something that you've been given to carry throughout your life to make an impact on humanity somehow. And that might be through your extraordinary technical mind. It might be through your incredible hands that create. It might be through the kindness that you share with anyone, regardless of, of who they are or what they've done. So for me, it's that spark of people realizing they're in alignment with their purpose, or it's figuring out what that purpose is, or realizing what how good they are at something. I, I love love. I love joy. I love accomplishment. I love people feeling empowered. So it's very much an emotional journey for me.
0: You think about all the people in life, the millions of tens of millions who never do figure out their purpose and their passion in life. I think that's tragically sad, because there are tons of people who never do and they go through life stuck in these jobs that they fucking hate and right. they they can't stand getting up and going to work in them, but they do it because they have to. I think it's just horribly sad that there are so many people that never figure out their purpose and passion,
1: yeah, I agree with you, and i I can tell you that I've got some of those people in my life, so even though I'm doing what I do and I have the skill set and education that I do and experience it's not my job to make sure that everyone reaches their potential because people have to be open to that. You know, they have to be interested. And so I have people in my life, you know, I'm sure you do too, where we say things like, you know, they're a young soul, (laughs) you know, this must be their first time around or whatever. We have jokes about it, but it is tragically sad. And I hate seeing it knowing that I have things to offer and, you know, putting the olive branch out to help someone, but they don't take it and I can see their gifts. I can see the potential, but if they're not there and they're okay with where they're at, who am I to say, but True. you have to do more, you know?
0: True. It's just the thought of it that is so sad. It really yeah. is. And I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, there are a lot of people who just aren't open enough to receive mm-hmm. what what's there for them. But yeah, I would agree with you. I think that every single person on the face of this earth has something that they're here for, they have a purpose and a mission in life and their mission, why they're here for sure. It's just whether they decide to or take the time to tune into it and figure it out.
1: Yeah. I often wonder if, you know, when we talk about people who seemingly are not reaching their potential, that's Mm -hmm. very judgy, but you're with me. I wonder if we're just not seeing where that potential is being reached in other areas of their life, you know, who were they here to save? Who were they here to comfort? Who were they here to, to be a source of strength for, you know, and it's just that I'm not seeing potentially that view.
0: Okay, interesting. we of looking at that.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I just have to believe, have to believe that, that there's a, a reason for all of this. I just am not somebody that's okay with thinking, well, that's it. You know, he died, he's done, whatever. I just have to believe there's something more, something think, more to why we're here.
0: Yeah. I think that for me anyways, personally, I can't speak for you, but personally, I think that because the way I look at it in terms of, I look at it in terms of career, what because we spend so much time of our lives working so many years, I, that's how I look at it. In mm-hmm. terms of finding their passion or their purposes, finding something they love to do, so they're not stuck in a job they hate. That's the way I look at it, and that's yeah. why I assume that people who are bitching and complaining about their job and hate their job, they haven't found their purpose. So maybe yeah. I'm, lo- maybe we need to look at it the way you just explained that maybe yeah. that's not their purpose in terms of finding happiness through a job. It's what they're they're doing something else that we don't see. Yeah, I love I- that way of looking at it, though. That's amazing.
1: Oh, cool. Well, you know, and I think there's also this other side of this hustle culture that is, it's, it's really getting people out of balance. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they don't have, and listen, Brad, you of all people know, because it takes me forever to get back to you, or it takes me (laughs) forever to look at something, whatever it might be. I think that we're hustling so hard all the time that we're getting ourselves kind of out of whack. Yeah. And so maybe... There's something here for us to learn as well. I know that with as horrible and tragic as the last year has been, it also forced us all to slow the F down. Yeah, And I can tell you for me and my extra poundage that, you know, I, I cooked things I never had and I, I tried things I'd never done and I kind of, you know became a bit of not a lounge lizard don't get me wrong but i i just sort of slowed it down and yeah. i do think there's value there too so yeah it's this hustle culture which i'm absolutely a part of i am realizing that i need to maybe put some guardrails up and not get so consumed by it again when the world
0: opens mm-hmm. up yeah maybe it's not about the hustle i've i've seen this meme that's gone around And it talks about that. It says it's got hustle and it's got the word align underneath it. It's got the word hustle crossed out. So maybe it's more about alignment and not so much about the hustle. Yeah. Because we all like to look busy. We all like to seem busy. We all talk about how I'm so busy. I've got so much going. Is that Mm. really something you should be wearing as a badge of honor? Exactly. Right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, last week I had a birthday. My partner, John, had a birthday. Thank you. And my best friend, Kim, who just moved back to Arizona, who's living with us just temporarily right now, she had a birthday and mother's day. So I had four days or actually three days that were just insane. Like no one was working. We were all just enjoying each other and all the things. And I started out my week this past week thinking, oh my gosh, I did not work for four days last week. I was such a bum. I was so, and then I realized I got to stop this. Yeah. I just had four days by the pool. Cause even though it was technically three days of birthdays and mothers or two days of birthdays and mother's day, yeah. we took that fourth day and enjoyed it too. Why but not? all of that to say that it's okay, yeah. you know, to just slow down and not get consumed with the illusion of busyness or yeah. the realness of busyness.
0: Self-care. It all yes, starts sir. there, right? Yeah. Now you're an author of five books. (laughs) To me, that's incredible. I mean, writing one book in itself is a feat for sure, but five, can you tell us a bit about the books?
1: Yeah. They're all, almost all, uh, you know, I, they are primarily for women and I, so like the first one was called the princess principle. And while some are collaborations, uh, there's also the, the one that was independent independently done front to back. And I am very proud of that. You know, I remember the first time I wanted to write a book, I was 29 and surprise, surprise, someone said, you know, how long have you been doing what you're doing? Do you really think that a publisher is going to want to do this? And so I absolutely realized that it's an incredible feat, but I don't have the kind of discipline to like bang them out like a novelist. Um, Although I wish I had more because I do think they're so important and they can reach so many people, but yeah. I've got most of them are about, about women. Mm-hmm. The most recent one is called love meets life that just came out during the pandemic oh, in wow. October or August of last okay. year. Yeah, And, um, yeah, I, I, I love the medium of communication, whatever that is, you know, podcast, <laughs> webcast. It's, I love it. Yeah.
0: Now I know that all writers each have their own process when they sit down to write. Can you tell us a bit about your creative process and what that's like for you?
1: Yeah. I, because I'm a speaker, a lot of what I do starts with a story. And then, as I mentioned with the mechanics of speaking, I weave the story through. So you'll get a quarter of the story, and then I'll teach a little bit. And then you'll get another sort of, oh, wow, moment. And then maybe eventually I'll get to the second part of the story. By the end of the keynote, you're hearing the final you know, moment in mm-hmm. the story. So I write the same way. Okay. I very much about storytelling. That's what I'm known for in this industry is, is being a skilled storyteller. And it's important to me just as a woman, I, I love people's stories. And so I always start with a story. And usually the way I craft everything is by being able to make that story, the learning point and teaching and writing within the story. So I, I've, Write very much like I speak. I've heard people say, your voice is so clear. You know, like my humor or my, my yeah. quick wit or whatever it is. Like they they can hear it. It doesn't sound like a different person who's doing the writing. So I use the same method when I'm creating a keynote or when I'm creating a training as I do when I'm writing. It's always usually around a story. So whether that's chapter by chapter or, you know, by concept, it's usually around kind of the hero's journey. That's a big piece for me. Yeah love achievement. We already talked about that. So that's usually how I I do my writing as well. Okay.
0: Now you recently started an online academy, learning academy for high performing women. What inspired you to start this learning academy? And can you tell us a bit about it?
1: Yeah, COVID.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Plain and simply put, COVID.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. You know, when my, my industry was decimated when COVID hit. We don't have huge events, right? With with thousands of people in a room. And so my industry very quickly fell flat and I didn't really have all the pieces in place to easily transition. So meaning into this sort of, you know, digital technical space. And so last year I spent the entire second half of the year after COVID just giving away free trainings, free keynotes, free coaching. I, got in touch with all of my clients. I said, I know you don't have the money. I know you're impacted, but we can't let your people just hang out there to dry. So let's keep these fireside chats going. That's when I bring leaders in to talk once a month about what's going on, get advice from their peers. It's a place where private conversations can happen. So I said, let's keep these going. Let's keep the trainings going. And we just immediately switched. Well, what it came down to for me is that I realized I was spending so much time in front of my screen and people were asking for the same thing and not all corporate workplaces require faces to be on a screen. They can go ahead and black out their screen on zoom or yeah. you know, whatever it is they're using. And so it just dawned on me that I was doing a lot of the same trainings for people. And if I just created an online Academy where people could go at their leisure, And since it wasn't going to be now, a lot of them were highly interactive and that was their business culture, but some just had it on and said, if you, you know, on Webex, if you want to jump into the meeting at any time, you can have this on in the background while you're working. Well, that's what hit me was that, you know, we could all be way more flexible with how we offer training. If that training was something that could be clicked on and off to at any time, it didn't have to be you know, something that people scheduled their life around. It could be something that they could easily bring into their life. And so that's when the Her Story Collaborative was created, was just from this idea that I could do this differently and it could be so much more convenient for people to decide when they want to learn, when their best time for learning is, when they're most alert, when their meetings are done or whatever. And so now I've got Collaborations going on with people who are bringing their courses in, so it's not just all Jen all the time okay. because nobody needs that. And so, <laughs> oh, now I'm we sure said,
0: there are people who think they do. <laughs>
1: oh, you're sweet. Well, I just love the idea of other perspectives and other women coming in to share their wisdom and knowledge. And so that's that's how the Her Story Collaborative started.
0: Okay, so that's the name of the academy, Her Story yep. Collaborative. And now, is that geared only or specifically? To women, can only women be members of the academy or join the academy?
1: Well, short answer is no. Anybody okay. could get information from this space because right. it really is important for everyone. I decided when I was looking back on my life a few years ago, and when I had the most fun, it was during those seven years on the women's conference. Yeah. And I decided to just sort of niche myself and say, you know what? I will always speak, of course, to any audience, mixed audiences, all of that. But that's where I have the most fun and that's where my heart comes alive. And so I wanted to create a space for women because I think that right now we're seeing extraordinary growth for women in the entrepreneurial space. And I wanted to support that. I wanted to amplify other women and give them tools to be able to soar. And that was important to me. In creating this.
0: I love it. I think that's amazing. So speaking of the landscape of of entrepreneurship and women, what are your thoughts on the landscape of entrepreneurship and women-run businesses? Are you seeing a shift personally in terms of more women making the jump into entrepreneurship? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: Absolutely. First of all, I will say though, with a nod to all the OGs who've been out there breaking glass ceilings forever and setting the pace, We've actually seen over the last two decades that women are opening businesses at twice the rate of men, and their wow. businesses stay over uh, stay above ground. Off, uh, um, listen to me; I'm not stumbling over my words. They stay above ground longer, really. And so, yeah, the lifespan is actually longer and wow. greater. So, I know that women have always be, been interested in having their own business and and you know striking out on their own, but. I think that what we're seeing right now, and this is kind of thanks to the hustle culture, it's also recognition that, you know, people are unfortunately right now feeling the squeeze economically that you can't necessarily live the life you want to live on one income. And so a lot of people are getting into this gig culture, whether that is a side hustle, it's, you know, driving for Uber or whatever, people are doing more. And so I love that because what it does is it's opened up doors to people who never thought that they would be an entrepreneur or have this brick and mortar kind of you know building that they would work out of, but it's allowed them to see the flexibility. It's allowed them to see their potential when it comes to... Earnings and it allows them to see that they have control over how they structure their business. So I have to give that nod to this gig economy that has allowed people to sort of dip their toes in the sand. Yeah. But I think that what we're seeing right now with women is an expansion beyond what I've ever experienced. I'm loving being a woman right (laughs) now in business because I actually have right on my website, you know, like all these reasons to hire me. And the very last reason is because I'm a woman and we've had I enough men <laughs> on your stages for decades. And it's time to put the women up front. Like I'm okay with that now, yeah. you know, and I love that yeah. assertiveness and that strength that's coming out of the women around us. We're, we're seeing this rise of the matriarchy and I'm loving it.
0: That's awesome. I've also heard and read too recently that women have been the hardest hit during this pandemic in terms of job loss etc
1: yes and it's tragic because women don't one women don't have nearly the you know uh equality when it comes to seats at the boardroom table oh for sure yeah we're still seeing less than 20 percent of boards occupied by women i mean that is the weirdest thing and why don't we walk into a boardroom where we see a bunch of old white dudes. Yeah. And why don't we think that's weird? Like we should yeah. be thinking that is the strangest thing ever, you know. And yeah. so knowing that women don't have the the numbers they should, where they should, they're not paid. We know this statistically. They are not absolutely across the board not paid an equal wage. And then they're at home, of course, during the pandemic especially, educating the kids. Yeah. So there's a job, but then at the end of the night you're now educating and we know from statistics that Over 85% of women say they do the majority of the housework in the home. shit! So, right. These statistics
0: are staggering.
1: I died when I saw that those statistics in February that said women were the, the, all of were not responsible. That's the wrong word, but the recipients of all of the job losses that month, I think it was for all of January. And this was released in February. Yeah. Brutal.
0: I would think that that probably has a fairly big part to play in terms of the shift, um, where we're talking about women getting more into entrepreneurship as well, because they figure, you know what? And, and I would imagine that a big part of that is also the fact that, as you mentioned, women are not paid equally for doing the same tasks Mm -hmm. as their male counterparts. They're figuring, fuck it. You know what? If Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get my due here, I'm going out on my own. I'll be my own CEO. Absolutely. I think it's amazing. I think we need more of it for sure, because it obviously the culture is not going to change. We've still got that old boys club mentality I mean, we need to shift the thinking around that and get rid of it completely, obliterate it. But until that happens, I think that this shift with more women jumping into entrepreneurship is a great thing.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I made a commitment to myself that my, this was my New Year's resolution this year, that my number one goal of my business was going to be to amplify other women. And that means that I am sponsoring them when they're not around. Hey, have you met this person? They do this. You know, giving out their information, passing on leads, doing what I can to give out freebies to help women soar. And I have never been busier. So there's something there that we all could learn from that when when you make your goal about lifting others up, there is an equal and opposite response in the energy and, and profitability and, and, you know wonderful fortune that comes back at you.
0: Absolutely 100%. And speaking of giving and whatnot, you do and have done quite a bit of philanthropic work as well. Why is this type of work so personally important to you?
1: Yeah, I I come from a place of privilege. We were not wealthy, don't get me wrong, but as a a white woman in middle-class America, I come from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. And yet I have family members that are from Mexico that were married into our family, which means that I've got multiracial cousins. Uh, my f- Each family member has married someone outside of their race. So we're a very mixed demographic. And when I see inequality happening, I have to speak up. And I've also learned that those in power listen to a white lady from middle class America sooner than they listen to those who they are treating ineffectively, um, poorly, you know, whatever, unfairly. And so I just know that I have to use my voice and I have to help where I can. And I know that I have the gift of gab and I can <laughs> influence others. And I figure that if someone needs to speak for them, I am fully capable and willing to do that. So I have a nonprofit that works with asylum seekers who are fleeing other countries yeah. for persecution and they are coming to the States and the nonprofit helps these people, um, make sure that they've got food, clothing, travel, cell phones. They've got all the things they need, medical care. And you know, it's, it's controversial because people of course become very sort of America first. Yeah in their response to it. But sometimes people just need to be reminded that their faith probably tells them to take care of those in need. And it probably tells them their faith should, should be above their love of this uh, sort of nationalistic ideal. Uh So it's been a challenging road because people are very, very loud about this, but my determination to help people, and get them what they need is greater. And I know that I'm on the right side of right.
0: It's undeterred. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've founded a few not-for-profits. Though.
1: Well, it's most of them have been. So I've done some, really, I would say it's probably more community projects. Okay. Uh, I was after the big, 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 uh, sorry, tornado that hit Shawnee, Michigan. I'm uh, sorry. Jeez. Shawnee, Oklahoma was... <laughs> something I got involved with with in terms of bringing aid to them with a friend of mine who lived in Michigan. There's where my brain just collided. Okay. And so, yeah, we brought a huge, I think it was, I can't remember the, the size of it, but whatever the largest U-Haul truck is, it's like 26 feet or something yeah. crazy with items packed to the ceiling and $20,000 in gift cards we were able to bring there 10 days after the hur- the tornado. And we were there for a week helping these families, cleaning, helping, rebuilding, giving out gifts. So that was really more of a community project that I had headed up. And then I've built a school for girls in Uganda, which was called Tumaini Safe House. And I did that with a woman I met in Uganda when I was visiting there. And so I, I have done some things that I find to be really important. The Asylum Seeker Coalition is really probably the most impactful one yeah. that I've done and that that is longstanding with my nonprofit.
0: Amazing. I love it. I think it's absolutely incredible. Thanks. I think more of us could use to get involved with things like that and help out sure. where it's needed. Yeah. Jen, to date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win?
1: My greatest accomplishment is outside of, of course, family and getting to be a mom and you know, those kinds of things. I would say my greatest accomplishment is helping. I'm actually getting choked up right now. Over 48,000 asylum seekers who've come into this country. And, um, I was able to step in and create safety and love and happiness and joy and celebration for them arriving. And that I think will be on my last day, the most important thing I've ever been able to be a part of.
0: That is an incredible accomplishment. Kudos to you and you deserve the kudos and a pat on the back and thanks. It it's amazing work. So kudos. Oh, I'm I'm in awe. I think it's absolutely incredible. Thank you. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become so successful, Jen?
1: My superpower is my energy and <laughs> happiness and and belief. These are big things for me. And I think that's why people just gravitate toward me. I think it's the, the reason I can influence. It's the reason I always have new ideas or new concepts that I'm sharing. I think it's my energy. I just, I love, love, and I love life Yeah, every day.
0: I love it. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you?
1: I think it's changed. I think that it's always been about how many people can I influence? I'm really clear that I'm here with a message that's not mine, that's meant for someone. So that's always been how I've sort of gauged, you know, success is being able to impart the right message. And I still think that's important, but the older I get, the more that peace is important to me. Contentment is important to me. So being able to have those four days off and not feel like I'm going to be financially impacted or being able to take off, you know, time to be with the ones I love the most. I think that is becoming clearer for me that I've been out of balance for a lot of years. And now because of the last 14 months, I think it's clear to me now that my contentment is in that security and of being able to be with family and not have to be constantly chasing or fearful. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's definitely a lot of big lessons um that we can all take away from this past 14 months um yeah. and yeah i know there's been a lot of tragedy there's been a lot of loss and yeah. it's it's not always easy to look at the glass half full or okay. see the silver lining for lack of a better term mm-hmm. but there is silver line without a doubt there has been so many good things that have come out of this whole yeah. horrible situation that the world's currently going through
1: yeah, I agree. I what, agree.
0: Make, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self?
1: I am inspired by joy. I think I mentioned earlier that I cry when I see accomplishment. I yeah. cry when I hear stories about joy. I I am really, really committed to making sure that that people have the opportunity to Live at a higher level of resonance, whatever that means for them. Yeah. And so I love joy. I love just pure joy. I, I often laugh that, you know, if you were to look at my Instagram, you'd be so bored because it's puppies and babies <laughs> because I love joy. And I love joy that doesn't come with some kind of weird, you know, link at the end yeah, of it that says, yeah. you want more? Go here. You know, like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Earnest of joy so i think that's what's inspiring for me and i i think that's kind of clear actually when you're around me too because there's no ulterior motive i just want to be like let's just enjoy each other yeah. let's be happy and be in the moment
0: well it definitely comes through in our interview oh, for sure 100 yeah, yeah. percent. i think it's amazing you are quite an inspiration and it's it's infectious
1: oh thanks that's well, nice
0: It's true. It's the absolute truth. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after learning it?
1: I have always been around males and I had, have seven boy cousins, including a brother in there too. And for me going into the banking industry, discover card, It was always about sort of this male energy and, you know, I always was a go-getter and I was always very strong and I kept running up against these, I would say roadblocks where people would tell me to sit in my place or to know my place or to, you know, uh, not, not undermine what someone is saying. And so, even though I had this exuberance uh, and confidence because I was raised with all these boys, you know, yeah. and I was always uh, in this environment with men and and all of that, I still found that a lot of people in society, in the workplace, wherever it might be, have tried to tamp that down a bit. And I think I learned right around 28 that I wasn't going to take it anymore. That I'm. I'm just all of this. Like this energy is really me. And this is really who I wake up being. And there's no, I'm not hiding anything. And I'm, I've got something to say and I'm going to say it. And I'm not afraid. And I remember actually crashing our U.S. representative. I'm sorry, let me say this the right way. Arizona representative in the U.S. Congress. I remember crashing his birthday party because I had something to say. And I, I literally crashed it. And they were <sighs> trying to get me to sign in. And I was like, oh, I need that drink. And, you know, it was just like a movie where you're kind of spinning around yeah. to get away from. Person who's and I went right up to the, the birthday boy, the representative, and I told him, I need to talk to you right now. And it was one of those moments that I just felt like this is what I'm here for. I'm here to use all this exuberance and this strength, and I'm not going to be tamped down and I'm not going to be told to be quiet. And I think that that's probably the most important lesson I've learned. And I have, I have seen the benefits of it over and over, you know, when I don't have a benefit, it's because I've sat too quietly and I haven't spoken up. And so I think that's probably the most important thing. I, I stepped into my power.
0: I love it. I love your attitude. It's amazing. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> yeah. What was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you?
1: You know, I got a divorce okay, and I was really determined to make this whole thing work at like everybody. Right. And yeah, I found out all at once that the whole thing was crashing down and I, I had no choice but to step out. My, my self-esteem and self-worth was on the line if I stayed and I knew I had to leave. The problem was I'd been with this person for like eight years and I'd very much tied my, my value to him Mm -hmm. and stepping out really became kind of a, gosh, if you remember the, the movie, eat, pray, love, or the book, eat, pray, love it became this huge, scary moment where I had to rediscover who I am. And I was 37, I think is what I was. And I had to completely start over, you know, all the, all the toys that we had amassed over the years, um, all of the, you know, the great things that you create as a family, as an adult, all of those things, I had to walk away and make a really strong choice to put me first. And that was scary and I went through all these big life-changing challenges to get over my fear and to find me again. And that one year was probably the most important year of my whole life because I wanted to learn to surf. I, I was always afraid of the ocean and I grew up <laughs> in the ocean. It was crazy. But I wanted to So did to learn you learn? I did. I did. Awesome. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I'm good at it,
0: but, <laughs> but I did. Hey, you, you put yourself out there and learned.
1: Yeah. That's, and I'm not that's afraid. That's all that matters.
0: There yeah. you go. You conquered a fear.
1: Yeah. And so that was really important to me. That was a turning point for me of remembering who I am, remembering that little girl that wasn't afraid of anything before people told her to be quiet or told her to calm herself, you know, and I got to, I got to remember who I was.
0: You can sounds like you conquered a hell of a lot that year. I think that's amazing. Again, yeah. you deserve a pat on the back for that. You deserve Thanks. kudos for that. It's, it's not, it's not easy to overcome fear and and look within and do the self work and Mm-mm. it takes a lot you have to reach down way deep inside so
1: 100 yeah and there's
0: so many people who just don't do it
1: yeah because it's hard work yes exactly yeah, yeah.
0: exactly all right we're going to jump into a little um rapid fire section here so the cool. next grouping of questions Thanks. is just one two three word answer type thing Got okay it. how would you describe yourself in one word Energetic. Money or fame? Money. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. What's your favorite stress-reducing activity? Hiking. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Always start with empathy.
0: What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money?
1: Racial equality.
0: Entrepreneur life is?
1: Exciting.
0: My favorite way to unwind is
1: curling up in bed with John to watch Madam Secretary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the last book or podcast I listened to or read was
1: Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard.
0: If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change?
1: I would want people to always lead with kindness and accept one another.
0: That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you turn to when you feel stuck, Jen?
1: I turn to my Aunt Janie. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: What would you say is the most recent investment you've made in yourself?
1: I invested in a an employee who is helping me with my social media.
0: Yay! <laughs> what would you say is one of your biggest failures or life lessons, and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh, this is a hard one. I would say that this is going to sound weird. And I don't know if it's a failure or if it's a regret, but I did not travel when I was young. I had an opportunity to go to school abroad and I didn't take it. Instead, I decided to go and work for Discover Card. So I don't regret going to Discover Card because it opened the door, but I regret not traveling for those several years with a certain friend that, that did it. I, I feel like I, maybe I missed out on a really important piece of, being young.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Travel is, I mean, you can read about places in books and whatnot and learn about them in school, but honestly, there is nothing that could Mm -hmm. possibly compare to actually traveling and seeing and taking in the culture and experiencing the culture and the people you meet. It's, it is just so incredible.
1: And it's cheaper when you're young.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Now we need beds, back yeah, then,
0: Yeah,
1: stay in hostels, <laughs> whatever.
0: Yes. Yeah, for yes. sure. Like, Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why?
1: My stepdad, Dave. He came into my life when I was two, and I love my father, but right. my stepdad, Dave, didn't have any kids. And he took us on as his own and was the most selfless, inspiring man, giving I- I've ever met in my whole life. And he he... And my stepmom, this is so strange for people to hear, but I'm convinced they are my two soulmates. They loved me when they didn't have to.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Any, anybody who does that type of thing where they take on someone else's children and raise them as their own and love them as their own. Mm -hmm. That is probably one of the most selfless things you could ever do in life. Exactly. What's your personal motto, Jen?
1: I believe that we will win. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it? And what would it say?
1: Oh, well, I think it would, I know what the billboard would say, I think, but I wonder if I would get a chance to put it like on I-10 or one of the big ones that goes all the way across the country. And it would say, dude, be nice. I think that too many people are jerks and they lead with all this weird aggression.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think just because dude, I use dude all the time. I'm from California. I can't help it, (laughs) but uh, dude be nice.
0: You know, Jen, I honestly, I've racked my brain and I rack my brain constantly about this is why can't we as humans figure out the concept of being nice? It doesn't cost you anything to do it. Mm -mm. It is such a simple thing. Why do we have such a hard time doing it?
1: Yeah. I know. Opinion is such a funny thing that everybody feels like they have to give it yeah. and they have to put their stamp on things. And if we could just lead with empathy, begin with empathy, that's it. Just start with empathy. Yeah. And that means you listen, you feel, you know, you, you have compassion. I think we'd be a very different, gosh, let's just say very different people, you know, yeah. if led with compassion every time.
0: Well, let's start with the fact that people, a lot of people have a problem listening. They just want to be heard. And a friend of mine has always told me, he says, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Do
0: more listening than speaking. People just want to be heard. Yeah. Like just stop and actively listen.
1: The ego is strong, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? <laughs>
1: I think I, here I got, I've got it. What's your, what's a wacky, weird fact about you?
0: Okay. Tell us.
1: I have an extra rib on my what? left side. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I really?
1: I really do. I do. And you remember when kids are little, like they're always sucking in their stomach yeah, you know, yep. and get that concave thing. Yeah. Well, I can't do that because it just, keeps me from doing that. But yeah, I really truly do have an extra rib on my left side. And wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna add that question to my list of questions. <laughs> What's a wacky weird fact about you yeah. that you can share with us? <laughs> yeah.
1: Luckily it it's it lays the way it's supposed to. We're not talking about a rib that's sticking out the wrong way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, here, it's like that. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> If you could sit down and have a one-hour conversation with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why?
1: Joan of Arc. It would be Joan of Arc because I'm so fascinated with how she took on, as a teenage girl, an entire country that was invading hers. She took off on an entire monarchy that was trying to take their rights and impose their will. And I forever have been so fascinated with her courage and bravery to take action and her willingness to go as far as she needed to go. And, you know, she died at 19 Uh and I am, I'm so moved by her that I remember when I went to Paris for the first time and I saw her statue, I just broke down in tears. It's, I've got some very deep connection to what she did, and somehow it intertwines with my, like birthday party crashing person,
0: <laughs> you
1: know. And I, I think that that would be that would be the person I'd want to sit with. All right.
0: If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Hold on to the guy from seventh grade and don't let him go. It took me <laughs> twenty extra years to find him. But my first boyfriend, <laughs> who I adored forever, but he was gone because, you know, this is before social media. Yeah. I dated him for a year, if you can't even call it dating, when you're yeah. in grade. And it took until the advent of the internet for us to find each other again, find out he had pined over me as long as I'd pined over him. Wow. And we've been together now 12 years. So
0: Amazing.
1: My advice would be don't let the kid from seventh grade go. (laughs) All right,
0: there we go. (laughs) Lastly, Jen, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like?
1: That we have all been put on this planet to somehow enrich and positively impact other people. And our job is to listen and to step out of our fears and our daily routines that keep us safe and be willing to extend our hand and love people who wouldn't normally be within our sphere and do our best to start always with empathy and listen and connect first and stop putting our opinion on everyone and recognize that the talent we've been given to carry through this life is is one that you have an ability to step into and, and get into alignment with now. and start impacting other people's lives. I believe that we're here for a purpose, every one of us, and we can't go to our graves regretting that we didn't do things. We've got to be willing to step in. And while we're doing that, make life better for all the people around us. Treat people equally, be kind, start with empathy.
0: I love it. Beautiful. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey. This has been an incredibly inspiring and thoroughly enjoyable conversation I've learned a lot and it's just you are a true inspiration with all that you do and all that you're doing and everything you do to give back and help people and your attitude and your love and your light it just is so incredible I'm so inspired right now and thank you for taking the time to be here and I'm so proud and honored to have you as part of the Empowerography community you're an amazingly beautiful soul
1: Thank you for that. My gosh, I I am so glad I was here. And I have truly enjoyed every minute of this. So maybe we'll have to do it again.
0: I think we will (laughs) (laughs) be fun. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Jen Buck. She is a professional speaker, trainer and author based in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, Jen. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.
1: You too, Brad. Take care.